0: Hey Jigs of Tears, thanks again for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. And today I have the great honor to be joined by Jeffrey Wallace. Jeffrey is a Pimo Jehovah's Witness who has written a book called A Voice from the Inside and I had the pleasure of reading it recently and we're gonna have a, a discussion with Jeffrey about his book. So. I'll just add Jeffrey to the stream. Hi, Jeffrey. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Riley. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. No, no, no I appreciate you accepting the invitation. Thank you so much. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing good. Great. Thank you.
1: Although Thank I see you. my I see my logo isn't up on the screen here, which I'm sad about now.
0: Oh no! <laughs> but but oh, that's, that's okay.
1: well, I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes or something
0: oh absolutely i definitely will cool great so please tell us a bit about um your book and what motivated you to write it
1: yeah so um you know i sort of experienced well well, the book really is about religious trauma and uh a bit from a a bit more of like a clinical perspective uh, in terms of what it looks like to have such a all-encompassing um faith crisis in the context of a high demand religious group like Jehovah's Witnesses and the theology that contributes to, uh, the, the situation and, and how serious it can get when it leads to, um, an experience like PTSD. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of went through this cognitive change, what we, what we call awakening, you know, what ex Jehovah's Witnesses call awakening and, um, had settled on a place that i thought was comfortable for me as a pmo and uh so i just you know i just kind of went to the personal project of writing a book because it's always been something i wanted to do and my book consultant said well you you need to think about your pain and then talk about that as your as your starting point and your recovery so that led to pulling together a lot of research that I had done on religious trauma over the years. And also, you know, as you know, copious research into watchtower publications over the years as a Jehovah's witness. So all that came together in an effort to bring more awareness to the precariousness of individuals as they come out of indoctrination and, and start to plot their course,
0: That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, one thing that stood out to me when I read the book was the open letter to the Governing Body. Um, It was really, really well written. You hit some really important points. Um, But I just want to ask is, are you hoping that the Governing Body um, reforms the organization or, or the religion? um what what was your motivation behind writing that that open letter
1: it really is uh, to get leadership to think about some of what i see are key policies captive policies Mm. that are so detrimental to um, psychological well-being within the group and so um, i recognize it's a beloved faith for many people and religion does fill that psychological need Above and beyond Jehovah's Witnesses, obviously. So, um, however, there are some key policies and key ethical violations that I think really need to be given some consideration to. And that would free up the boundaries of the group um, so that there would be less of a totalist environment, less of this cognitive um, uh, atmosphere where individuals feel unsafe to express or think freely, which Mm -hmm. is where you know, individuals get some of those terms like brainwashing and things like that. So by just making some alterations, at least it would allow some freedom of thought, allow people to make decisions that, that are in their interest based on their personal values. And also particularly uh, in terms of my self-interest, um, give religious freedom back to Pimos. So individuals who were active members of the group who no longer believe the tenets of the organization now um, do not have the freedom freedom to exit the group, to speak freely without losing their cherished friendships or relationships with family. And um, that is a restriction on their liberties that that needs to be checked.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm Yes, that's that's great. Um, what, What you just expressed there really strikes a chord with me personally. Um, something that's been a, a main feature of my activism since I started out on YouTube was that I have no real burning desire to see the organization collapse. If it did, I wouldn't shed too many tears, but that isn't really the, the objective behind my, my activism. Um, I, I'm just against seeing people harmed mm. by, by religion. I'm not against religion itself
1: yeah and that's the funny thing is when you're inside and and obviously i haven't done a lot of i mean i've read some uh, some literature you know sort of xjw literature and you know i see quite a bit online now since i've come up on social media but the reality is you are raised with the understanding that that's exactly what apostates want to do that they want to tear down uh um something that is cherished something that has taken years to build um Uh, and that's, I'm glad I'm happy to hear you say that because that was another reason that I felt very, um, nervous to step out and speak my own thoughts. Uh, because you can, you can imagine, uh, being rejected by outsiders too, because of not having an extent of hatred for the Mm -hmm. group that, that would be understandable by pained individuals.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not to diminish, um, the anger and the pain and the negative feelings that many have towards the organization for very very good reasons Absolutely. Um, but, as, but as you expressed um religion does provide some people with a lot of comfort psychologically um whether or not the benefits outweigh the costs is for each individual to decide for themselves there you but go. um yeah, personally, I'm just against the harm that some religions and some religious practices cause not religion itself as as an entity. And that's good to,
1: uh, it's good that you do frame it as harm. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's a good word to use because as Jehovah's Witnesses, we are fixated on on right and wrong. We're fixated on morality, Um, not only on individual morality, but also sort of like global sweeping universal morality and so that is a difficult paradigm to break Mm -hmm. and not think so universally all the time Um, but as you say regardless of of where one ends up standing uh, on ethical uh, ethical you know considerations values morals religion um, we still can recognize that harm is done and we can still recognize that an individual in this situation is in a state and my focus is on clinical mental health so is in a state where they are going to need um a unique approach so that so that they can you know be assisted to to move past this crisis it cannot be dismissed i think it's easy to dismiss it as a as a faith crisis um that is um um perhaps in in looser religious organizations but when your entire social network is tied up and, um, there has been this level of weaving personal life into a religious framework. Um, it, it brings it to a new level that that can really be dangerous. Yeah. So harm is a good word.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was a part in the book that really, uh, piqued my interest. It was when you were referencing the Australian Royal commission, And uh, a phrase used by um, Angus Stewart, who did a brilliant job in the Australian Mm World Commission, by the way. Um, And that phrase was a captive organization. Uh, Could you just um, give us some background on what, what you understand by that phrase and how it applies to the Jehovah's Witness religion?
1: Yeah, I thought it was a fresh phrase because as Jehovah's Witnesses, you're used to being called a cult. Um, You're used to being, you know, being told you're brainwashed. And so you have some pretty standard responses to that. You have a copy of the reasoning on the scriptures and you flip to the page. that says cult. And then you, you say what it says and it's, you can tell Jehovah's witness they're in a cult all day and it's, it's useless in terms of helping them see their cognitive biases, their sort of psychological biases. Right. Um, But when I, saw those proceedings and i read those proceedings the use of the term um captive organization i felt sort of got away from some of that other language that is kind of tired you know that that we've heard so much not that it's not useful but at least for me it wasn't doing anything but when i heard when i heard captive organization i thought that's really what my situation is right now as a pmo um is is a level of captivity And so Angus Stewart, he's, he's speaking with Jeffrey Jackson, member of the governing body and trying to, you know, follow this line of reasoning uh, to where an individual is sometimes faced. And, you know, when speaking in the context of child sexual abuse, um, he's speaking, you know, asking Jeffrey Jackson to put his feet in the shoes of a victim of sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and Basically, he's saying, you know, if this individual chose to remove themselves from their, the presence of their abuser, who may still be in the congregation, namely by leaving the congregation um, to, to get to a place where they feel safe away from their abuser, um, they will face shunning because they will, in effect, be disassociating as a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and the other option is that they remain and, you know, not feel safe So so they're kind of in this situation where they are are very much captive. So you have the choice to disfellowship. You can do something and be punitively excommunicated from the group. Or you can choose that you no longer want to be a Jehovah's Witness, disassociate, and also be punitively shunned by the group. So um, there is no dignified exit. And particularly when it comes to child sexual abuse, that's a dangerous situation, which that court identified you know that was not a healthy arrangement um but you know extending that to individuals in general when it comes to the level of captivity there and moving on from there in the book i highlight psychological captivity and procedural captivity so the theological um you know the psychology of the religion that is captive that makes individuals captive unable to think freely at times and then also the procedures that are in place that create an atmosphere of captivity yeah yeah you know?
0: yeah absolutely absolutely and how's is, how's is that how's those uh um, theological and procedural captivity how's that impacted on you personally
1: um well the the deconstructing of the theology is a very liberating process when you do sort of look at it from the angle of how is my creative thought affected by what I'm reading in the scriptures? Mm-hmm. And uh, I should say in the scriptures, in what Jehovah's witnesses teaches the scriptures and also in the literature. Um, so, you know, there are elements of Christian theology that are, um, disempowering in general uh, and they are enforced at the expense of other viewpoints in jehovah's witnesses as an organization so whereas uh, mainstream christians can maybe pick and choose or they have an external voice they have maybe a more secular voice that they're hearing and that may be respected either in the community or maybe even in the family in the case of jehovah's witnesses there is only that theological style of thinking uh, and yeah. there is no outside voice. So, but I use Lifton's framework for thought reform. Um, so Robert Lifton was a researcher in the sixties that kind of discovered this, uh, psychological phenomenon that happens in closed groups, right. And he was studying the Chinese communist party and how they used this, um, concept of thought reform it was actually a program of indoctrination and in education and what that did to psychology on the individual level. And so he identified eight different criteria, um, that we can see in closed religious groups. And I argue that you can see them in Jehovah's witnesses. And I give evidence of, of those things in the literature and in the experience of a Jehovah's witness.
0: Yeah. I found that part of the book absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm really, really interested in, in Lifton's work. And he coined the, the term uh, ideological totalism. That's right. Which, I think is, which is very, very apt in the case of Jehovah's Witnesses and also within many other socio-political groups today. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very, very relevant concept. And I'd advise anybody to, to look at his work, especially coming from a, a high-control uh, religion or political group.
1: Yeah. I mean, it happens. It's not to point a finger necessarily at one group. It's just something that happens to humans when they get together and they organize themselves in a certain way. There, there's sort of certain, this plays upon certain tendencies of, of human dynamics, you know, but um, yeah, there's a line that's, there's a threshold there um, to where it really becomes uh, a situation that follows this pattern becomes very easily identifiable, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely. Um, I want to get on to um, some of the, the the research that you've done in order to to write the book but before we do that, um, I think there's some comments or oh by the way viewers, if you have any questions for uh, Jeffrey please feel free to write them in the, com- the comment section and uh, we'll take a, a few breaks and answer some of those. Um, are there any comments or questions? Thank you very much. Oh, I must thank um, my producer, Marsha, who's putting these comments on. Thank you very much for doing that. Okay, so there's one from XJW UK Anita, who is a, um, a very long time supporter of the channel. Thank you, Anita, I hope you're doing well. As an XJW, I just want religious freedom and children protected within the organization. Yeah, I completely um, agree with that, with those sentiments. And, um, I'm sure you do as well, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Chrissy, thank you. Another, um, value supporter. They're a secret society. Um, well, a good old boys club anyway. <laughs> I, I think definitely funny. Understand. You
1: mention. um, I, I recognize, and I don't know, um, Riley, if you ever served as an elder. No, I didn't. Okay. So I started to realize as I broke away from the group that the experience for an individual who is an elder uh, or perhaps heavily involved in other ways whether you know through what they call theocratic schools and missionaries and things like this their experience is quite different than that of, yeah. the, of the rank and file i think that the level of commitment and the sort of loss of oneself into um what could be considered like group think or, or social polarization is even more extreme um, for bodies of elders. And so, you know, we call it an old, uh, a good old boys club, but, but you are in a group of men who are tasked with the responsibility of, um, you know, executing the decisions from the governing body and from the organization and also caring for the sheep as they consider it. They consider it a spiritual, sort of a nurturing spiritual work. And so they become disciplinarians um, and they also, um, you know, speaking as someone who was an elder, I greatly, greatly valued actually, um, the, the, what I viewed as, as, as a very noble work to care for others spiritually. Mm. Mm. Um, I had overstepped, um, healthy bounds there, uh, into the realm of manipulation, into the realm of, um, coercion, right. Um, but being in those bodies I know how seriously those men take the responsibility of caring for the spirituality of the sheep and um that is a, a a very strange sort of um emotional experience to be able to communicate because so many people have been hurt by that same paternalistic influence Yeah. so yeah. that good old boys club is um uh perhaps a little bit uh, dismissive of my experience as an elder but um there's some real reality to to that to what happens
0: yeah yeah i'm sure i mean when i was waking up one of the channels that i first started like binge watching was um by a former elder and he said that it was being an elder that started to wake him up mm-hmm. because he got to see a side of the organization that he would have had no idea of mm-hmm. if, if not for that and yeah. I, and I'm, like I said, I was never appointed. Um, but I'm certain that if I ever was appointed and became an elder, it would have woken me up a lot sooner as well.
1: I think a lot of people, um, and I remember my first elders meeting, and I've heard of the experience from others. It is this. I talk about it a bit in the book too. I think, uh, like, it's a rough waking up to what's going on yeah. and to this new role that you have. You know, so you, there was this curtain that you could not see past um as as a lay person into what's going on in that back room with those elders the decisions they never give thorough explanations of what happens apparently some mystical spiritual thing happens in those elders meetings that they come back to the group with and then then you step in and you're in that group and so there's like normal politicizing that happens in in groups of decision makers um and you see that and it's, and it's rough. There is sort of, um, I think, as you say, a moment where some are besotted with their new privilege um, because in the group, you're, this is a momentous occasion becoming an elder. Your friends celebrate and everyone pats you on the back and you've finally done a great job. You've been working on this for years and months and years. Um, so they're besotted with this new privilege and then they're also facing the, the sort of brutal realities of what's going on. And, um, yeah, I can understand how that would wake somebody up, but I also understand how it would cause them to double down. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we probably see more is right. yes. so this, this young, uh, a young man, um, who is, you know, uh, spiritual not sort of, um, maybe aware of some of the, the harsher realities of the world. We could say naive, um, this was my experience becomes an elder. I become an elder and then you see all this um and there's a doubling down a recommitment okay well if i'm going to do this i'm really going to do it and then other men in the congregation will sort of take you under their wing and give you their spiritual workarounds for why it's okay for you to do this or that and and um, why this is still in line with what the organization is asking you to do yeah so i th- i think two things could happen as you say people could wake up or or there can be a recapitulation a doubling down and even further loss of self there in that moment
0: yeah yeah i mean i I had a lot of assistance from elders for various things over the course of my um time as a jehovah's witness and towards the end there was there was one elder in particular and i i honestly felt that he wanted to help me in ways that he was unable to due to the restrictions of his office for one mm-hmm. of a better phrase. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I kind of got the sense that that was a, a, a frustration to him. Did you ever feel like that when you were an elder?
1: Um, no, not for the most part because I was really, um, know i really did feel like everything that we had in our little shepherd the flock of god book was in fact from god almighty so um i never felt i never sort of had that other voice yearning in terms of helping other people you know it's like well this is (laughs) this is kind of how it is you know this is for their best this is in their best interest um that minimizing of of personal empathy for others but I do think that that's very true, what you say, because in, in, in a sense, they're sort of like middlemen here. They're given the yeah. instructions and they're very fearful. A, a lot of times um, elders lack decision making ability. Um, and this happens on judicial committees where they are trying to make a decision about what needs to be done. And the, the rule book isn't explicit enough. And so they end up having to put it in advance until they call headquarters and get an answer from headquarters on what to do. And they yeah. sort of will, you know, they're usually, they usually don't make the decision for you. They'll like hold back and, and sort of guide you to a group decision, but still put the decision-making authority on the elders. But the point is that um, there's, there's a real challenge there uh, when men struggle with their sort of natural des- desire to be more kind to people but they're, yeah. they're held to the information that's in the, in the books. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, one thing that sticks out to me, uh, which was really difficult for me and what, what I see as um, from a, like, again, from a mental health point of view as partic- particularly worrisome is the acknowledgement of how judicial proceedings can cause someone to mention suicide. So it's specifically mentioned in the elders book, you know, if, if the guilty party says they're thinking of suicide, you know, pause, uh, don't move further, try and help them regain their spiritual balance and then proceed again. And, um, there was a time when at another place in the book, it said that elders were not to recommend, um, specific mental health resources to, Um, rank and file witnesses in the most recent copy of the book that's no longer there but for many years it was so you have the situation where elders are creating an environment that can cause an individual so much shame that they want to end their life but then also are told organizationally not to provide resources for mental health help that is a real that is a real bind there Um, Because the only um, the only people that you go to for spiritual comfort are also stopped from giving you an external, you know, uh, somebody with more ethical training and more professional training to help people get out of mental health crises. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, if that isn't causing harm, I don't know what is. (laughs) Yeah, I can't think of any 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 um, worse situation. It's
1: a shame to have, it, well, I'm using the word shame. I don't like to use that. But I mean, it's, it's really troublesome to, to have a, an organizational policy like the judicial arrangement and disfellowshipping that you know is causing people to get to the point where they would want to take their lives. Um, yeah. You have to really sit with that for a bit and, and ask yourself, you know, whether that can be adjusted in a way that's more healthy for people. You know and that's what leadership needs to do really is just say okay well do we need to go this far um, it would be really scary to undo disfellowshipping i think frightening threatening for leadership because it would loosen the bounds of the religion and surely some would exit Yeah, surely um, absolutely you know, the sort of paradoxical thing about this is you could see growth in Jehovah's Witnesses because it would then be less of a, um, <laughs> a risky environment to be in. So that's sort of paradox yeah. there. Um, but I think about what it would take for leadership for, you know, for like the governing body to how, how do you spin it as new light mm. that we're going to stop shunning and disfellowshipping? How do you spin that? And um, I think there is ways to do it but it would take a lot of courage on their part and that's what i speak to in that letter to the governing body is this is going to take courage for you to to take accountability for what's going on and then prevent further abuse Um, it's going to be really challenging for them to do that but it's not a task that 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 can't be done it's not a task that can't be done
0: yeah i agree i agree so, if we can just talk a little bit about the research that you've done for the book. So, speaking from my own experience, when I started waking up, I completely dove headfirst into a rabbit hole of researching the religion, its, its origins, uh, past teachings, a lot of things that I had no idea of whatsoever. When it came to your own experience of waking up, which came first? All of that research for the book. Or did you do that research as part of like your waking up journey and then incorporated it into the book?
1: Most of the research for the book was after, um, because sure enough, I was determined not to go the way of every apostate and read apostate literature. So I sure enough did not touch any critical voices of the organization. Um, so when it comes to waking up, I was dealing with some other real just conflicts Um, and I was doing a lot of learning. I was, I'd kind of reached a point where there was no more reading of Jehovah's witnesses literature that I could do. I had, I had sort of read it all. I had, you know, I had reached the point where I had to read other stuff, you know? And so I started, um, just dipping into popular psychology books, you know, um, just, stuff that was interesting to me and it was brought up a lot of cognitive dissonance as i started to realize so much of this was in in conflict to with what i experienced what i thought was the truth and Mm -hmm. so that created as i fought against that external information it created some real psychological um uh, conflict which was leading to depression and anxiety trying to push out all these thoughts that didn't match with what I had been taught all my life. Right. Yeah. So that was, that was in the years leading up to my awakening, but in terms of the book itself, that was after I had experienced the onset of trauma. And, um, so I was in a, I was experiencing PTSD and I was starting to recover and I was learning about religious trauma and that led me to, um, you know, works like The Trumpet of Prophecy, which was written by James Beckford. He was not a Jehovah's Witness, but he was a sociologist that, you know, researched uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And I tried to stick really with um, academic literature, again, because I was really afraid of uh, of being swayed in terms of my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, I wanted to see if I could get really um, unbiased information, if at all possible. So, I read that and I, I read George Cressidi's work, which is a textbook. Um, he's a British scholar and he was embedded with the congregation. I think he knows them really well. You can tell he, he really knows a lot about Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, but I do think there were some points about the psychology that he didn't pick up on. Of course, I think because he is um, more of a religious scholar than a psychology of religion scholar. So he wasn't really talking so much about the individual experiences of people um, yeah, so I read I read a bunch of that literature and and I was poking around and collecting it all, and um, then when it was time to read the book, it all found its place in the book,
0: basically. Cool, good, good, good. Yeah. So, um, could you tell us a bit about what it was like your first experience looking at material from or quote unquote apostate material? Mm-hmm. That's a question that I'm that I, I'm keen to ask almost everyone that I speak to because of what a profound experience it was for me. I'm just curious to know what it's like for everyone else.
1: Um, for me, there was a lot of fear involved. Mm. Uh, so I started recognizing what my religious fear looked like felt like experientially, right? So actually, before I started reading any of this external information, I knew that I had to make a change um, sort of um, in terms of my work, because i was in a position where i was relying on the organization Mm -hmm. for you know finances and so i had to make a change where i had to start to sort of learn a new skill and i was experiencing a lot of intrusive thoughts about being materialistic which is a a a theme that is just pounded into uh, jehovah's witnesses through the literature um You know, individuals that get haughty and arrogant and, you know, seek higher learning so they can get fancy, respectable jobs. And it's because they're not humble and they don't have faith in God. So I was hearing a lot of that. I I was experiencing a lot of that as I was trying to learn a new skill, which was getting in the way of me mastering a new skill. But it did teach me the origin of my sort of religious fears and what that experience was like. So then when I I did get to reading external literature and literature from ex-witnesses like Crisis of Conscience and um, also uh, the Gentile Times, Reconsidered, Mm. I I noticed that as I sort of edged closer to finally reading it, I was overwhelmed with fear. Uh, But the fear was actually, to me, it was an indication of something I needed to sit with and experience. Um, In psychology, they call this... um, exposure therapy yeah you know if you have a if you're afraid of spiders you know you start with a picture of a spider and you get afraid and the therapist is there and you sit and you breathe through it next you get a plastic spider and you sit and breathe through it and the fear response happens and then finally you know if you've managed your fear response or learn how to manage your fear response you can hold the spider in your hand and be okay with it right um yeah so it was something similar I felt like I was doing this I was doing this a form of exposure therapy on ideas that didn't match with the theology I I knew that I was experiencing fear because of being a bad person being disfellowshipped from my family et cetera, et cetera. and I had to just sit with that fear and keep reading and and experience the fear again sometimes panic inducing learning new information was like literally panic inducing yeah. um but i knew that there was no reason why information had to be that threatening to me and if it was that threatening to me then there was a piece of the puzzle i wasn't i, I didn't understand yet
0: yeah thank you so um let's take a few questions that there a, we're actually being inundated with questions for you jeff i hope you don't mind so um outside the box asked hi jeffrey you are a pmo if now one of your congregation members recognizes your voice would elders disfellowship you
1: um i don't know i don't know mm. i know that <laughs> i was uh, i mean i this is obviously the risk that i take speaking out mm. it causes me a lot of uh distress uh one thing I do know is that most Jehovah's Witnesses don't watch at 2020. So mm-hmm. I think there's a <laughs> there's a level of uh um anonymity provided there. But uh yeah, that that's a risk. That is yeah. that is definitely a risk. Yeah. And I mean the um, uh, one thing I, I I do I know the rules pretty well. I know the rules mm-hmm. pretty well. I know that I um you know
0: know how to play that game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I must say that I do admire your courage for taking that risk anyway, and using your voice. And speaking. Yeah. Okay, we do have another question from TW. Why do you think uh, COs and DOs that come out really give or tell really give tell all interviews about Watchtower? Do you think they have signed a non-disclosure agreement? That's a really interesting question.
1: I don't think so. I mean, I, I've had a lot of experiences and never, never been asked to sign a non-disclosure. Um, I think there's a number of reasons why people don't speak out in terms of the cult experience and people who are traumatized by like spiritual abuse. There is a, it's really hard because um, there's a real vulnerability to say like I got wrapped up in this. You know, I wasn't thinking clearly. I was hoodwinked and duped by the used car salesman. And I'm not worldly wise enough or savvy enough to to have stopped this. Right. So there's a bit of there's a bit of like sort of community shame there going on. I think that stops people from speaking out. They'd rather just be like, oh, that was a bad chapter of my life. Move on. Right. Um, So there's that. Um, The other thing I I think the other thing is um, culpability. For individuals who have been in leadership, um, a lot of this stuff I've done, right? Yeah. I did it. I was the abuser. So now, and I mean that in a spiritual term. So now if I'm going to speak out against the danger, you know, what what I think is harmful, I have to sort of also take accountability for my share in that. And so I think that could get in the way. The other thing is, um, if you've been through the wholesale destruction of your faith and you have been through post-traumatic stress, um, you may not want to bring that on others. I certainly struggle with that. As much as I want people to have their psychological liberty, um, I think that that needs to be something sought by the individual, Mm -hmm. which is why I don't need to speak out to jehovah's witnesses themselves um they may need help upon exit when they choose to and that's where i think mental health professionals come in um but yeah i know how traumatic that can be i know how how thin of a line that can be to walk uh when you've lost when you feel like you've lost everything and you feel unsupported so it could be concern um that stops some and um, it could be still a, a certain amount of shame. There could still be a certain amount of shame for having lost one's faith. Um, you know, there is a certain amount of psychological, we could even call it strength, to be able to keep up a lie. If you can stick with your bullshit long enough, there is a significant strength that that sort of people who are held to their own honesty they don't have that strength. Um, it's difficult to keep up for some, um, and so for those who can keep it up, there's a there's a power in that. There's a power in being able to, uh, you know, uh, stick to your guns, even when you're withholding information. And so the leaders that fall away, they 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 didn't cut the muster. They couldn't hold on to. We call that holding on to faith. They lost their faith. Oh, you know, like they they weren't able to hang on to their faith there's still perhaps shame and personal weakness there for not being able to hang on to this this ideal
0: yeah yeah that's my that's guess. I guess
1: i don't know i've never spoken to any of them so that's my guess
0: yeah um i mean elders um who are you know ex-witnesses or pmos and you know they come out and they whistle and they leak documents i mean that is a very very common thing but it is very rare for circuit overseers and district overseers to do the same i mean there i've encountered one or two on the xjw reddit um forum but um they're very very rare very few and far between so uh, that, that was a really good question it's yeah that very, did, yeah
1: that's that's about. interesting that, that is interesting i have I've, i haven't noticed that Um, of course they are rarer in general right there's not as many of them and it will be harder for them to wake up um you have to also remember that circuit overseers are there comes a point where you give more than just your sort of religious devotion to the organization but also financial right so uh the, the sort of vow of poverty that you sign and then you enter into a financial relationship you are particularly disempowered when yeah. you, you can't, who would you, how would you exit? You have no skills. Um, you're past the point where, you know, you would have the money for an education. Um, so this is a particular place of disempowerment that, that would be very, very difficult for some to be able to step away from.
0: That's very true. That's very true. And most, uh, overseers, circuit and digital overseers are in the late stages of their life as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, how do you start again at that age mm-hmm. with yeah. you know, from scratch yeah yeah that, that's a good point okay Anita has another question um hi Jeffrey are you in a strong JW family
1: yeah definitely mm-hmm. <laughs> um <clears throat> very strong yeah involved multiple levels yeah I'll leave it at that I don't like to I was mentioning to Riley earlier I don't like to speak too much about my family for you know sort of yes. obvious reasons
0: yeah yeah that's fair enough and uh miss bethany headley asks what is your exit plan jeffrey i'm having trouble leaving
1: ah um you know i used to give a lot of advice (laughs) i used to be an elder (laughs) i don't like to give advice anymore i really don't um i like to sort of bow out there but i will say that um there are individuals that want to help on the outside. I think having a mental health counselor is hugely important, particularly somebody that wants that understands uh, religious trauma. Um, And so there's a lot of discussion in the ex evangelical space. um, A lot of discussion in the ex Mormon space of um, what it's like, how traumatic it is to leave and to give you a safe space um, while you are exiting to figure out, what you want to do and to figure out how you're going to build your life. So yeah, mental health counseling is huge. Um, that way, you know, there are, there's an understanding in the mental health community of the, the limits of one's authority in terms of convincing you what to do and how you want to do it. And so most are, are able to step back and yield space so that you can create your own, your own path. Um, And so I think empowerment, personal empowerment is really important. Emotional empowerment. I talk a lot in the book about, um, mindfulness. I know that's another rabbit hole, but it did definitely help me to understand my emotional blind spots that were being filled by the group. Um, so I started to understand, oh, I, you know, I, I turned to Jehovah with this concern, that concern, this concern, and that concern, I can't own those without the passive, you know, uh, being pacified by the religion. So let me see if I can sit with those and understand them and own them a little bit better, um, so that I can feel emotionally empowered. And then for some it's, um, you know, for others, it's financial empowerment. I think of, uh, individuals who are children in Jehovah's witness families or teenagers, um, you know, that's going to be about getting out on your own and, and making your own way um and but but yeah if if you feel that you don't have a voice then get with a therapist because there's all sorts of assertive communication skills that that we weren't taught as jehovah's witnesses um, about how to communicate needs how to communicate desires how to communicate our own thoughts in a way that isn't aggressive how to be angry right we're not taught how to be angry in 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 literature it's a work of the flesh but it's really not a work of the flesh it's it's you know part of the natural landscape of human emotion so learning how to express anger in a healthy way um you know but but i certainly for for you know the commenter um seek help seek seek help from somebody you can trust a professional
0: Thank you. That's very good advice. That's something that I'm always keen to um, advocate as well. Therapy is so so important. It's so so important. Um, could you tell us about? I mean, you do speak about this in the book. I mean, you go into great detail about your whole you know waking up journey. But for the benefit of those who haven't read the book yet, and I do encourage all of you to do to read the book. Could you just briefly tell us what was the spark that ignited your um, journey to waking up?
1: Yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to pinpoint it because it was incremental. Mm-hmm. As I said, I was reading a lot because I had a lot of downtime. Um, and I had a, a job that was sort of not intellectually stimulating. I was reading a lot about other religions because I was trying to preach to them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I was trying to convince them that I had the truth. And so I was reading a lot about different religions and I started to see how there were some real gnarly similarities between how I thought and how they think, particularly in like fundamentalist groups. Um, and so I was reading a lot about fundamentalist religion, fundamentalist Islam, and some of the challenges that were being faced in Europe and in um, you know the Syrian crisis and in the Levant there. So I was trying to understand what what really made people think that way. And as I started to, I started to see similarities to the way that I think and the way that I use the Bible to convince people of the truth of what I do and how I also use theology to abdicate responsibility for things that, you know, maybe not in the best interest of humanity. Mm-hmm. So I was drawing these connections and things started unraveling. And then, as I said, I was, I was doing a lot of listening and reading, um, but it seemed like everywhere I turned, you know, 20 pages into the book, I would rub up against something that would conflict with my theology and I had to put the book down. <laughs> and, um, so that was getting untenable. Um, but, uh, eventually I just, I was just getting by with like Xanax every day, going out and giving talks from the platform, just, uh, you know, trying to numb all of my feelings so that I could, I could give parts from the platform. Mm-hmm. I was getting trained for some, for some, uh, bigger responsibilities. And, um, I, I reached out to every mentor of stature in the group that I could, that I knew of any, every, everybody that I respected who had been my spiritual advisor or my spiritual teacher, I reached out to all of them. I discussed some of my concerns and none of them could go there with me. None of them could sort of reckon with, you know, some of what we're doing here could be considered harmful. And nobody, nobody could be honest like that with me. And, um, uh, there was a, a moment where I had to let go. I could no longer make excuses for my beliefs. I had to just let it go. And, um, yeah, that was a, a panic inducing. I remember a very panic inducing moment. Um, it's, it's not nice to think about it. it is no less than traumatic. That's why I speak out <laughs> because uh, yeah, when you do something like that and you have those sort of symptoms of trauma, panic attacks and all that, you you need to have some medical professionals with you too, for some.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I had an experience like that myself. The first time that I watched an XJW video on YouTube, I had a full on anxiety attack. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, sweating, Mm -hmm. handshaking, Mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a few more questions, please. Uh, Thank you, Jeffrey. A Hitman really gives interviews when they change their life, even if they know where the bodies are buried figuratively. <laughs> I guess I don't know. So I don't understand that question. I think this was in reference to uh, the earlier question about uh, circuit overseers and district overseers not really I telling about their experience once they leave. Yeah, yep. And uh, Ronnie, hi Ronnie, how are you doing? It's good to see you here. Um, Jeffrey, will you ever leave the organization or continue as a PMO? How do you guard your mental health?
1: Yeah, I don't know what that looks like for me. Um, just at this, at this point, it's a bit of a personal journey, which I'll I'll keep to myself a bit, but in terms of my mental health, um, regular therapy, uh, is, is really important for me. Mm. I also set boundaries and, and, um, I have created a safe of space, uh, safety, at least in my own home right where where the organization does not have dominion and i think that's an important step for a pmo is to you know know, there may still be some social obligations that you feel as yet you cannot let go of but at least you can start creating a space of of safety in your home you know and so releasing obligation with the family to things like you know the daily bible reading and the daily text reading and the and the family worship and the watching this and the you know those high demand requirements you know you can start with some freedom in the home and then move from there you know so that that's very important to me um as i said before mindfulness is really important when uh, for me has been super helpful um, when i'm in a situation that's causing me emotional discomfort to um be able to be an observer of my experience a little bit uh, rather than uh, feeling the need to react to it. So a mindfulness allows you to step back, see what's going on in terms of your thoughts and your emotions. uh, So you can then separate from that, a decision that is pragmatic for you Um, whether it's to leave or to stay or to how to leave and how to stay where the boundaries will be for you um, how you can create some power. Um, yeah. So mindfulness is, is super helpful for that for me too.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that's a great answer to that question. I mean, I've, I've found mindfulness helpful as well. Um, I really did like the part of your book where you touched on that as well. Um, speaking if, if memory service spoke about the different systems of the brain and how you're able to mentally detach yourself from what you're, feeling and look at, look at that experience from the perspective of another person who's not directly involved in it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have, for example, if you're, you know, we, what the example we were talking about earlier, reading something that triggers a fear response, right. In that moment you can say, okay, you know, what am I experiencing? Where's that fear? Okay. The, I'm feeling that fear in my head. Maybe I'm feeling it in my stomach. I'm feeling all these sort yeah. of sensory experiences. You know, let me take a couple breaths and see if there's any sort of cognitive correlates. Are there are there any thoughts occurring in my mind that are connected to that fear? And sometimes you can experience that connection. Like, oh, you know, this this is because I'm really afraid. You know, you know, I'm remembering that time when I was eight and I saw my first as fellowshipping of you know somebody that was my family's best friend and it scared the heck out of me and i'm still remembering that fear in this moment Mm. um so then now you can you can separate from that revisit it okay well now i'm an adult i have some agency (laughs) you know i can decide what i want to do here it would be hard if i did this or that you can make some pragmatic decisions or you can choose to ignore it but at least you have some awareness of your experience and um Definitely emotions and thoughts can get confused. Um, This is something that they do with EDMR therapy too, where they'll ask you to um, experience a feeling, you know, maybe it's a feeling of shame or or self-hatred. And then they will sort of maybe use their finger or something to guide your eyes and distract you a little bit away from the feeling and then ask you what thought came to mind. So you start to recognize that most of your, your emotional experience is connected with a thought, perhaps a thought that is sort of in the unconscious mind that you don't see readily right away. Um, but taking some time, breathing through those experiences allows you to really parse apart what's going on in your mind and seeing some of the subconscious information that is part of the programming of the theology and your environment growing up.
0: Mm, 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 that's, that's really good. Um I have one last question for you and then we're going to take some more questions uh, from viewers if that's okay. Yeah. So my question for you is ha- is there anything that you do now or that you experience that you would not have been able to do when you were a witness that have, that have brought some kind of positive aspect to your life.
1: The biggest thing has to be finally being able to read anything that I want to read and exp- I can sit with anybody and I can experience their opinion without feeling threatened. And that's so liberating, you know, uh, knowing that you can still hold on to how you think and what you feel and your values in the presence of anybody. Um, yeah. that that's healthy. That's a healthy self, right? That's, that's a healthy individual self and that's that's super liberating being able to think being able to create more freely is is you know that's made a huge difference to my life
0: yeah i I wholeheartedly agree i mean um something that i personally really enjoy now is being able to have friendly conversations with strangers without there being an ulterior motive on Mm -hmm. my part or fear that this person is a potential spiritual danger as well just being able to converse with people without either of those things coming into play is it's really, really enjoyable.
1: It really is. It's taught me a lot about prejudice in general. Um yeah. and the the experience of fear and prejudice and why it happens and, and what it feels like to try and break away from it. Um mm. you know, because as a Jehovah's Witness, we're raised with just such a firm prejudice against outsiders. Um, A belief that I mean, it's explicit, right, that they are possibly under the influence of Satan. But I found that even after I no longer believed in Satan, I still had a fear of outsiders uh, because of cultural Mm. differences, language differences um, and things like that. And so being able to, as you say, being able to feel free around other people and to not live in such a small world, (laughs) such a a small uh, microcosm of the universe And being able to experience other people and different experiences and different um, opinions and different ways of thinking is part of the beauty of life. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I wholeheartedly agree. Thank you. So let's take some more questions. uh, Just a few. Um, Anita, has Jeffrey started to make friends outside of the organization?
1: Friends? What are those? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. Yeah. That's it's an interesting experience, right? Because French intimacy is automatic in the organization. Um, Mm -hmm. You're both Jehovah's Witnesses. So you know that you think exactly the same. So I find that intimacy is is a bit artificial in the organization in that it happens immediately. And you can become closely attached, perhaps even unhealthily attached very, very quickly when you have that common spiritual understanding. That's what the organization will refer to as unity and brotherhood. Um, but when you're actually making friends without that, uh, sort of, you know, being part of the same religion, friendship is a lot different. Friendship is, is about sort of slowly building trust, slowly sharing parts of yourself with others. And, um, that is something that needs to be learned Really, It's like a new skill to be learned. For me, it's, it's something that I've been learning about a lot. You know much past the curve in terms of my developmental age (laughs) i'm learning what it means to make a friend but um you know then you you have a different sort of loyalty you know it's an individual loyalty and you start to realize that friends can be made regardless of what they believe and regardless of the choices they make you know friendship underlies some of these things and um who knew (laughs) who knew
0: yeah yeah absolutely i mean in the organization you become friends purely because of proximity Mm -hmm. you know it's like you get to the destination without going on the journey yeah yeah well put well put okay um tw asks did the elder body treat poor members differently from wealthier members in the congregation
1: um i never experienced that okay
0: no i didn't experience that okay thank you and Sparkle Canada asks, have you read any of Steve, Stephen Hassan's books about cults and how to leave a cult or help others leave?
1: Oh, my goodness. You're going to get me in so much trouble because I'm I'm with Stephen Hassan for the uh, I Got Out project. I'm like a, a fellow collaborator there. And so we were on a Zoom meeting just a couple of weeks ago. But I have read some of his blog posts, but I haven't read his books. You know, I'm familiar with his bite model, which I think is really important. Um, it's, it's much, it's, it's sort of a little bit more straightforward than, um, something like Lifton's ideological totalism, but I know his, his work has been really important for a lot of people leaving a lot
0: of different groups. Yeah, I agree completely. It was really, really important and helpful to me personally, Mm -hmm.
1: but don't tell him I said that please.
0: (laughs) Okay. I think we have time for two more questions. If there are any. Hey, Miss Bethany Headley, I find friendships outside the organization are hard, but I think it's because I have trust issues.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and um, one of, uh, if you haven't read Leaving the Fold by uh, Marlene Winnell, that's really important for recovers for religious trauma. She talks about betrayal trauma, and um, I've written about this too, how you trust with all your might in an organization, and then it, it betrays you. It doesn't give you the full truth. It has been coercive in the way it treated you. It manipulated you. And those are all the humans you knew. All the humans Mm -hmm. you know are Jehovah's Witnesses. So you have no experiential evidence that humans are not that, right? Let's just be honest with ourselves. You, as yet, do not have evidence that humans are trustworthy. So I cannot try and tell you right now that they are. Uh, It's something that you'll have to experience, um, I have faith that they are, but my experience is, is still building up too, because I'm, I'm in sort of the same situation. Right. Um,
0: yeah.
1: but you're absolutely right. It, it's, it shakes your trust in humanity at large. Um, and that is a wound that, that needs to be recovered from check out some stuff on betrayal, trauma, um, check out Marlene Munell's work. She's got some great discussions of that.
0: Okay. Thank you. Okay. So one final question. Uh, question for Jeffrey. So you don't believe in Satan. Would you say you are atheist agnostic or how are you leaning? And does your family have any clue that you're having doubts?
1: Hmm. Yeah, definitely atheist slash agnostic at this point. Um, I, I, I can't be really dogmatic about the lack of existence, the non-existence of God. I I can't be dogmatic about it. I find in that dogmatism, I start feeling like a Jehovah's witness again in terms of my rigidity. And so uh, I can't be real dogmatic about that. Um, But in terms of, uh, uh, oh yeah, I mean, I take a more secular approach. I find that very very liberating to lean into sexual, sexual, sexual. Well, that too. That too but um, <laughs> secular, um, secular thought has been a big, you know, relief because you can see that other side of the coin, and it's important to balance yeah. that with spirituality always, um, because it keeps one foot in the ground. And really, I think our minds are both um, yeah. sort of these secular, materialistic things, and also these spiritual. You, you know, that sort of conflict is what is the human experience. Um. You know, in terms of my family, um, they have only seen how I have stepped away from the things that I used to do for the organization and um, uh, probably don't always understand how that is. However, I know that there was a time before I made those decisions where I attempted to communicate it to them, um, but mainly on deaf ears, you know, there's a time where, where you have to own that for yourself. And I think that's that's part of the growth pattern away from this too, you know, is owning one's, one's values in the absence of validation.
0: Mm, mm, very true. Very true. So lastly, please tell us how we can um, read your book.
1: Yeah. Um, the book is on Amazon also. So you can get a paperback or the ebook and then also you can get the audiobook too. So we finished that up um a month or so ago so that's available yeah should be uh it's on audible and i think it uh, should be in google and other places itunes too
0: great thank you so much and um yes, yeah, there are links to the book in the description of this video as well so jeffrey thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you this yeah evening. thanks thank so you. much
1: for well, having me i appreciate it's it it's been great
0: no problem thank you the honor's <laughs> all mine And thank you viewers for watching. If you haven't already done so, please uh, like the video and subscribe to the channel with notifications so that you'll be alerted whenever um, I publish a new video. Please proceed to the Jexit in an orderly fashion and I'll see you in the next
1: one. Thank you so
0: much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, Please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jexit underscore 2020.